Well, hello there, it's me, Rufus Hound's meddling monk from Big Finish. Welcome to the Doctor Who podcast, Camperman. You are most welcome. Good evening, good morning, or good night, sports fans. It's Drew here with the DWP. It's episode 356. It's a lovely day for sports, or as we like to say, talking about Doctor Who. Uh, Of course, the color commentary for this episode will be myself and the lovely James. James, welcome. Thank you, Drew. I now feel completely out of my comfort zone. So presenting a sports show, can I do that in a British accent? Well, James, I've been watching a lot of Ted Lasso recently, and no one talks like this. Uh, <laughs> most of it's kind of gruff and strewn with profanity. Anyway, uh, so no, of course, I, we, won't, we won't do that. I just, I know it makes you uncomfortable, and that's really what I'm here for. <laughs> I feel bad enough already. As listeners, you may be able to tell my voice is somewhat... Not as deep and resonant as uh, as it usually is, uh, which is kind of inconvenient when you have a podcast to record. So obviously, the natural buddy uh, for me <laughs> this episode is Drew, who fills in the gaps. <laughs> Filling in the gaps, and you are most welcome. Anyway, uh, <laughs> James, we have uh, quite a bit to talk about today, uh, mm. even though you can't do a lot of talking, so uh, I guess that's going to be up to me. <laughs> <laughs> which is unfortunate for everybody else. Cue the um, evil master laugh there. Oh, I could. Could I, can I? Can I switch to a? Uh, um, I don't know. I, I I would never, never dream of doing a, a Roger Delgado impression because <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't work that way. Uh, no, admittedly, I could do the meddling monk who sounded so much like uh, Mark Hamill's Joker. That it, it distracted me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been yeah. said before, actually. Um, so, listeners, just in case you wonder what we're talking about here, this this was uh, Rufus Hound's interpretation right. of the meddling monk. Uh, and Drew has made this observation, I think, quite independent of commentary amongst fandom, that he basically channels Mark Hamill's Joker. Yeah. And well, here but- is Drew with an impression. You're listening to the DWP, and you are most welcome. How about that? Was that on that work? Perfect. Okay. Uh, so from that surreal intro, <laughs> uh, how, many, let's, how let's... many of our listeners have we lost already? I think both of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but let's um let's let's talk a little bit about Doctor Who just in general, really, Drew. It's been a while since you and I have had a chance to uh, to chew the fat about Doctor Who. There's it's typical that the time we do get behind the microphone together, there is practically zero Doctor Who news to discuss. Uh, the last really big announcement, I think, uh, was Bonnie Langford's return. Um, and since then, we've had a few casting announcements, but nothing nothing major. Well, I mean, I think you, you say that there hasn't, it's kind of a slow news week, but compared to the Chibnall era, it's just been uh, positively gushing. I, the, the fact that um, RTD has a social media presence and is not just uh, doing the occasional, and when I say occasional, I feel like it's almost weekly now we're getting something. Like, yeah. I always feel yeah, like yeah. the the tap is dripping constantly, even if it's not gushing. Uh, but RTD is also commenting and liking, and, you know, if, if a, a news source is posting, 
uh, he's there, or at least whoever the 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 team behind their social media network. I would assume that RTD is probably busy writing. Season, <laughs> or I think about 15. five or six different episodes simultaneously from what I understand uh, from the latest Doctor Who magazine. But uh, but I think you're right. But the the style and the cadence of um, of the drip, I think, is defined by RTD's brand of TV production. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've said it many times, it's been sorely missed uh, over the last few years. And I wonder if by the time we see Shuti Gatwa star as a doctor in his very first episode, he's not going to feel like a new doctor. I mean, I feel like he's already the doctor. And I've seen him on set because of the photographs that they've been publishing. Much more candid uh, than the previous regime uh, without giving any major story points away, as far as I can tell anyway. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I'm I'm, I'm really, it, it just makes me so happy. Um, I, I, and I know I've mentioned this before. I was in a real danger of, of sort of like hanging up my, my fandom hat of the, over the last couple of years. Not that I you know, wouldn't watch the show day of air. It's just sort of like, if you look at how I present myself as a fan, uh, outside of podcasting, you know, I, I kind of took down my shelf of Doctor Who books. It's not it's not on display anymore. I've changed it to I filled it with DVDs of movies that I I've been wanting to watch and my Doctor Who collectibles have kind of been put in way and I I I don't fit into many of my Doctor Who shirts anymore, but I haven't <laughs> felt the need to buy new ones and that's changing. I was at a, a comic book convention 2 weeks ago and I saw several doctors uh in in cosplay, something I haven't seen in 5 or 6 years. Uh, other than Jodie Whittaker, I mean, like sometimes the current Doctor makes a lot of sense, but like, you know, there was a Davison uh, walking around at a convention, and I'm sure a lot of people were just going, "I don't, I don't know who that is," and that's <laughs> going to change in the states, right? Like, I feel like with ten years between the fiftieth and the sixtieth, the the kind of Doctor Who zeitgeist that like the 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 fingers were on the pulse, and and I, I know people who were casual fans understood that there was more than one Doctor. 10 years is a very long time, especially with social media cycles the way they are. So I think fandom kind of has phased out of that. And I think it's coming back. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny how it is because I know the show has been hit by COVID and so on, but it hasn't really gone away. It's always been there. I mean, mm-hmm. and the, the three seasons that Jodie Whittaker featured in spanned, what, five years? Four and a half, Close five years, yeah. something like yeah. that. And, and prior to that, we had Capaldi. And, and yet, I do understand what you mean, uh, because obviously I don't operate in American fan circles very often. I do come over every now and again. Uh, but certainly, when I think back to the days of Matt Smith, where you had pictures of him um, advertising Series 6 on billboards in Times Square, those days are <laughs> right. well and truly behind us. They right. are gone. Uh, and therefore, this return, hopefully, uh, to some kind of status within the states i hope it gets back up to the heights of of like matt smith in around season six i think it'll i think it'll exceed that um and the i know this is a topic for a different conversation uh or at least for another time but because if you look at bbc america coming to the states and and being prominent and really throwing that money out and doing the advertising for the 50th anniversary People wanted to be a part of that special event. That's that's just how fandoms and groups and just human beings work. We, we want to be a part of whatever is popular at the time. 
But BBC America is nothing compared to Disney Plus. So Disney <laughs> Plus, something that everyone has in their homes in the United States and, and really internationally, I think if they're smart, and they are because, you know, they will control the world one day, uh, they're going to put that money behind it. They're going to get that kind of exposure. And I think people are only going to get more and more excited. And I'm excited to have all my Doctor Who digitally streaming on one service as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Apart from anything else, that would be so much more convenient. <laughs> right, of course. I... I um, for the most recent Who and Company, I pulled out my discs the other day uh, to watch a, a couple of stories for our newest podcasting episode. Um, and that was a really interesting feeling to actually pull a DVD case because, you know, we I, I re- we reviewed Father's Day and um, I have my first edition Series 1 American box set, which doesn't look anything like the the rest of the season. It's, it's got this weird transparent slip case. It's still in one piece. I don't know why they were doing that in the early 2000s. If, if anyone ever had the Sex in the City um, DVDs that came out in the U.S., they just fell apart immediately. Um, the Doctor Who sheath or whatever is, those fall apart. Mine, just from lack of use, is still in great shape. So that's <laughs> I'm done bragging about my physical media. <laughs> no, I and I, and I think that is uh, the the future, and uh, it's something that uh, I never used to have any real difficulty uh, keeping up with, or at least aspiring to keep up with. Whereas now I do struggle, uh, certainly keeping track of uh, which streaming services uh, screen. Um, the stuff that I like seeing, uh, Paramount right. Plus is the most recent thing that I've had to uh, invest in. But uh, but it's interesting you mentioned uh, that the latest Who and Company. Now that episode in itself, I couldn't tell you what number it is. I believe it's seventy three. Seventy three. Okay, that in itself is the third in a trilogy of um, movie reviews, but with a slight twist. Why don't you explain it, Drew? Okay, well, so this is a, a thing that Brent came up with. Is I think it's a really very clever idea. Since our podcast is traditionally about talking about Doctor Who and television, Brent's like, why don't we just do something different? Why don't we talk about pairing a movie that we love with a story, a Doctor Who story, which I think is very clever. Uh, it's brilliant, really isn't it? it? Especially when you consider how many Doctor Who stories, particularly the classic series, well, and modern, and and the modern day series as well, how many are homages to previously trod genres, some stories? You know, how many times have we said, you know, like uh, Frankenstein and uh, Brain of Morbius? So it, it's a brilliant right. framing device, I must say. It's one that I should really have, ra- rather than advertised your podcasts, Drew, I should have just, you know, <laughs> shamelessly plagiarized it and uh and and, and uh, run it on the dwp but do go and check out that latest in uh, the who and company podcast series which uh, quite frankly feels like a bit of an offshoot really of the dwp because it just has brent and drew so for some <laughs> listeners that will be a vastly better experience uh, than listening to the dwp i imagine <laughs> uh the level i i listened to the episode this morning um the level of exuberance, um, because I really love talking about movies, is possibly too much. Um, <laughs> I I know I completely butt Brent out of a, a whole conversation. I think even about one of the movies that he brought up, I, I, think, I think I will have to formally apologize to Brent at some point in time for that. Um, oh, dear. But once you get me enthusiastically started about that, uh, it's hard to shut me up. <laughs> We are going to 
wanting to jump back in time uh, with a discussion that you had with Ian about the Ark of Infinity. Uh, I I gotta say, and spoilers for for this. Uh, Ian hasn't watched all of Doctor Who. No no judgment. I haven't either. Um, uh, there's no judgment. There's plenty of judgment, Mia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if we judge him too harshly, he won't join us to watch the rest of it. Um, I have some suggestions of, of what he should watch next, and I'll, I'll mention that at the end. But um, let's go ahead and just jump in to listen to uh, you and Ian talk about Ark of Infinity. So what were you doing on the 3rd of January, 1983? Well, one thing Ian was not doing was watching Ark of Infinity. So Ian, what were you doing on that particular day? And how long did it take you to see Ark of Infinity? And I know the answer to that. <laughs> well, it is far too long ago for me to remember what I was doing. But it was just before I properly became a fan. Because that happened for me at Five Doctors. And this is the season before that. So this wasn't a time when I was regularly watching uh, the show. I'd seen a few episodes over the years. You know, Tom Baker behind the sofa when I was young. But it was only from Five Doctors onwards that I watched you know everything that came onto air um and in terms of when i caught up it was um well this morning because <laughs> for various reasons arc of infinity had uh, escaped my uh, attention until recently in fact this is the latest as in the most recent doctor who story that i've never seen everything beyond mm. here i have seen obviously once you get to the five doctors i watched them on broadcast uh, and the, the few gaps here I've mostly filled in over the years, especially on the DWP, but somehow ARC had always escaped me. So today we are filling in that gap uh, and pushing my latest missed episode back into, I think, the Pertwee era, actually. So, yes, it, 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 I get to complete my, my set of cards for Davison. Wonderful. And uh, I, I must confess that when you and I discussed uh, the debut Who section, as, as I suppose we're calling this little series... Um, I I completely forgotten, or I didn't realise that uh, some of your gaps were so late, and that the fact that they'd even stretched into the eighties was a bit of a surprise. I'd fully expected you, uh, and most people really, not necessarily to have seen every episode aired in the sixties or possibly early seventies, uh, but for you not to have uh, seen a Peter Davison story prior to your 50th birthday happy birthday ian um, <laughs> thank you um it's scandalous uh, absolutely scandalous um but uh, but i suppose i need to ask you then what, what did you think did did you enjoy it it was an odd little episode actually it wasn't i mean i knew about amsterdam and i knew that omega came back mm. i'd forgotten that colin was in it actually and that that was a, a nice little surprise but it wasn't the story I was expecting it to be, actually. Uh, in particular, Amsterdam is largely absent, despite you know being mm. fairly famous for the location shooting there. And I was surprised at what a complex, detailed, and indeed very reference-heavy story it was. It makes loads and loads of callbacks to lots and lots of Who history, not just the obvious one with Omega, but there's a whole lot of Time Lord stuff going on, which goes back to Deadly Assassin, forward links into things like the Five Doctors, you've got the Tegan arc happening, you've got mentions of Romana going on, you've got mentions of Leela happening. The thing that really came out to me was, this is a fan's story, because there's so much detail and de dense stuff in there. I would be fascinated to find out what your average British household watching on a Saturday evening thought of this at the time because I mean I, I quite enjoyed it I thought it skipped along and there was lots of little things to go oh I, I know what that's referencing 
I can't imagine that your average family sitting around uh, the sofa on a Saturday night got a lot out of this. Classic Who has never been embarrassed about referencing its own history, but it was the way that it does it. Well, to be fair, it can teach the modern production crew a thing or two, because (laughs) if you don't pick up all of these little references, then actually it really doesn't matter uh, at all. It's not as if it's pivotal. Uh, But you're you're right um, in in terms of the amount of... uh, little who nuggets that are are referred to um and i think perhaps it might have something to do with johnny byrne um uh, who who wrote three classic stories keeper of trakan and warriors from the deep and each of those stories as well as arc of infinity features major returning villains there is also the creation of nissa and uh johnny byrne created nissa for Keeper of Trakan didn't expect her to be used again, so unexpectedly receives a whole bunch of royalties every time <laughs> that Sarah Sutton performed in that role. Uh, but I do wonder whether or not that was all part of the plan. Use Johnny Byrne, he's steeped in who law, uh, and, and can tell a good story regardless of whether or not the casual viewer appreciates it. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the stuff is is the ideal throwaway references. So saying, you know, uh, how's Leela, Masoria, Mr. Wedding, that stuff's just fun. Yeah, we like we like that kind of stuff, and that's just sort of throwaway. It was more the fact that I'm not sure how accessible the story was without already appreciating Time Lord Society and, you know, who the High Council were and why the Doctor has history with them and why his handprint might have been read and now isn't and why he knows the presidential codes. There's quite a lot of pretty direct dependence on a story that was several years earlier. And, you know, again, as a fan, no problem at all. Love this kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was surprised at that because I, I wasn't expecting it to, to lean in quite so heavily. And most of the story is set on Gallifrey and amongst the Time Lords, which, again, in my head, I was expecting it to be much more of a normal, on-location, whose story running around Amsterdam with, with things happening in Amsterdam. And we, we see a little bit at the beginning with the backpackers who terrible actors they were actually better when they became <laughs> zombies you know <laughs> at least as a zombie you know you don't expect them to emote at all but you know before that they were terrible and then you don't I really don't think see... they were that bad oh, i really don't awful. and, and I, I like i like the fact that they linked into tegan's return in a fairly <laughs> you know um it, it, well we, that, that was a fairly innovative move i think um, by, by pure uh, coincidence the fact, as you say colin is not convincing Colin in particular was terrible, and I, I thought he was much better once he was zombified. Uh, and there was actually some, some a, a fair bit of ropey acting. I thought uh, Barusa was also... Uh, he, he was fluffing his lines quite a bit, actually. It was almost like Billy Fluffs, uh, which I thought, you know, this is the Barusa who I know from Five Doctors, just, you know, obviously a different actor. And he didn't seem... You know, he obviously needed to regenerate. He, he, was, he, was, he was falling off the edge. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the, you, you, you're right. What, what was the previous Gallifrey story? I was just thinking... I think it's Deadly Assassin. No, I think it's after that. I, mean, I think it might be Invasion of Time. If there's a reference to Lila mm, getting married... Yeah, you're right, yeah. I think that must have been it. And I think a lot of the props were just pulled out um, from the locker from that story, perhaps. And um, there, there's a lot of continuity, Gallifrey continuity, uh, between this story and uh, Five Doctors, which, of course, is, you know, there's a far shorter gap... Um, but I, I like this set of Time Lords, and uh, particularly Paul Jericho as Castellan. And I think you see him as a, a slightly more uh, robust version of his character than than, um, than you see in The Five Doctors. So perhaps he mellows in time before he gets 
shot. Um, spoilers, I suppose, for, for the five <laughs> doctors there. But uh, but yeah, Colin, um, you know, and they could have called this Arch of Infinity uh, as a reference to his style of acting. And uh, apparently John Nathan Turner famously gave him the uh, nickname of, of Archie because he seemed to be under the impression this was not Doctor Who, but a uh, a show called The Maxill Show. And uh, it, I, I just found his um, over-the-top portrayal here uh, quite surprising, really, that someone noticed it and thought, oh, yes, that will work really well as uh, as the Doctor. And there's a lot of parallels between his performance in this and certainly his early performance as the Doctor, that the sort of very aggressive, very focus-the-camera-on-me style and you know very uh, arrogant and superior it was almost the same character to be honest with you which again i was surprised at gotta come with us doctor there's no need for all the firepower they have orders to kill at the slightest sign of resistance the council chamber i suppose yes my companion is not involved in this move my orders are to take you both by repute, uh, he wasn't particularly happy with the way the characterization of the Doctor went. And later on, he was, you know, rehabilitated through Big Finish. And so you get this impression that actually that the aggressive arch superior Colin was an outlier. But here you see exactly the same characterization. Now, maybe he was just given the same direction both times. But, you know, this, this puts much more of a through line onto it. It's very similar to his performance in Blake 7 as well, actually. It was all quite one note around that time. Hmm. Mm. Talking about the casting, uh, Michael Goff, mm. who of course was our Celestial toy maker or the original Celestial toy maker, given the fact that we're expecting a return fairly imminently, and also um, at some point he was married to Anique Wills, I think. Ooh. Oh, I didn't know that, um, and was also um, in the Batman movies. He, he was, was Alfred. As Alfred in the Tim Burton Batman movies. Each and every time the Doctor returns to Gallifrey, there's violence. Perhaps it is we who should modify our approach. He resisted the guard. We send armed guards when a friendly face and a welcoming hand would have sufficed. Are you surprised that he resisted? He's got a very, very distinct voice, Michael Goff. I mean, how how soon into Ark of Infinity did you start to suspect him uh, of being a traitor? Honestly, straight away... (laughs) <laughs> because I know Flavia makes it to the Five Doctors, and I know the Castellan makes it to the Five Doctors, and I know Barusa makes it to the Five Doctors, so there wasn't many left. It wasn't Flavia, it was Thalia, so different character, oh, very okay, similar. Right, but okay. I thought the same thing this time. I was thinking, oh, I didn't, I, I'd forgotten Flavia was in this, but of course it isn't. It isn't her. Oh, I thought it was. The, I thought but, the same um, actress actually. Oh dear. Yeah, it looks looks very similar. I haven't seen Five Doctors for a while either, but uh... Ian Collier uh, uh, as well. Um, who, uh, who plays uh, Omega, um, reprising his role from The Three Doctors. He played one other character as well in the John Pertwee era. He's a time monster. and uh, Also on my not-watched list. Oh, uh, well, uh, may- maybe it's worth having a view of that, but you need to steal yourself, uh, really, before you, <laughs> before you get into that one. I warned you this would happen, Omega. Things could have been different. Power! And the greatness of Omega could have been yours. But no, your hatred of me. We didn't hate you, Omega. Why couldn't you be content to survive as you were? Why? Time to come home, Doctor. Time for rest. 
to find peace. But it's over now. All must die. Let's talk about the story a little bit then. There, there, there were a couple of twists on this occasion. Um, so we, we, the last we'd seen Tegan was at Heathrow Airport, ironically, because that was the place that she wanted to get back to throughout her entire first season uh, in, in Doctor Who. And the fifth Doctor decided, well, OK, well, let's just leave you there then. But no, she finds her way back to the Doctor via the most uh, bizarre coincidence and quirk of fate um, and suddenly ends up in, um, in, in Amsterdam. But I don't recall watching this uh, on transmission or indeed even for the very first time. So I cannot remember how much of an impact Tegan's surprise return had on me. When the Doctor and uh, Nyssa realised Tegan was involved in the story, I must say that they didn't seem surprised at all. I mean, when I look back on it, that's a, a bit of a rubbish bit of plot that it just completely coincidentally, out of the billions of people on the planet, <laughs> she happens to yeah. rock up there at the right time. It would have been simplicity itself for Omega to have reached out and found one of the Doctor's friends to have leverage on the Doctor and then justify the entire Amsterdam piece. No, that works. And that it would have worked. a lot better, I must say. You know, I'm, I, I hate to try and put myself up as a Doctor Who scriptwriter, but that seems a much more <laughs> obvious way of linking this than these ridiculous coincidences. I have a feeling that... Um... Louise Jameson was scheduled for a return in this story. Now, I'm not sure whether that's just an urban legend that's been developed over time or whether that's actually based on facts, but I do wonder whether that was the original idea. I'd be interested to know whether... Uh, and I've not seen... I've only ever seen Time Flight once a long, time, flight once a long time ago and have no particular desire to go back to it. Um, I don't recall... I don't recall Tegan leaving in that. But was it actually um, Janet Fielding's intention to leave and then she changed her mind or were they always going to do this? No, no, it was um, it was purely written into it. I think it was quite a, um, a new idea of, of the production crews. Let's let's toy with the audience's expectations. And uh, mm. is, is this really, is a doctor really going to leave a companion behind by mistake? I thought it was a great idea, I must say. I, I just... Um, think her reintroduction um, into the series and uh, her inclusion in this story was um, flimsy at best. Yeah, yeah, it was. Although I suppose coming back in in episode two, the way it was done where she just walks through the gate, I was actually surprised to see it because although I know that Tegan left and came back, again, I hadn't mentally put it together as being this was the story where it happened. So I was actually surprised mm. to see her walk out and then thought, really? That's a hell of a coincidence. <laughs> What what I found uh, the big impact was seeing the Fifth Doctor and Nyssa together. Now, I mm. have heard, as I'm sure you have, Ian, uh, Peter Davison say at many conventions, oh, Nyssa was his favourite companion, and he would have loved to have had a run of stories with just just Nyssa as a companion, as opposed to this, you know, um, crowded TARDIS that he got lumbered with for the majority of his era. And I've never really seen that before. You know, I don't think it works brilliantly in Big Finish. I mean, perhaps with the exception of spare parts. But I was surprised just to watch a number of scenes with Peter Davison and Sarah Sun, some in the TARDIS, some in, in Amsterdam. And it worked. It really did work. And there was no whinging. There was no moaning. Uh, didn't have any Edric to um, argue with. Uh, Tegan, at that point, just didn't feature in the story in the way that she no normally does, meaning she wasn't complaining either. 
and it was nice to see the fifth Doctor have an opportunity to interact with a companion who he actually got along with. And and that, for me, took me more of a surprise than Tegan returning. Yeah, no, it was nice, and, and the, the, the interaction between them was good. And indeed, Tegan spent most of the story on, on her own, and indeed the one time she really opened her mouth, she got shot for it, which, yeah, yeah there, there's definitely upsides to the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Tegan, don't. We can't just leave him. Colin! Coming back to Omega, um, I thought it was a bit of a shame that as a character it was largely underused. You know, he spends most of the time in negative special effects, sitting in a chair, pondering things and holding things, you know, looking a little bit like trying to overact it, which was a shame. When when we finally do actually get to see him for real, he immediately melts. I'll tell you one thing I found very odd. The little scene in Amsterdam where Omega, just before he starts to melt, walks up to the music box and stands around and has this strange, meaningful look with this little boy and you think, this looks all very strange. It looks like a serial killer who's scoping around for his next victim. It no, was, the way it was I, weird. I actually clocked that moment too. I did clock it because I thought it was quite a good bit of acting. And, and, and the way I'd interpreted it was the fact that this is the first time that Omega had experienced interacting in the real world of matter since the Three Doctors. And therefore, he actually took the time to appreciate interactivity with a human who happened to be a child um, um, at this music box thing but uh, that's, that's, that's I, how I, I read get it. that but the story doesn't take you there at all he, 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 he just pops out runs around a little bit and then stands and looks mutely at a music box you actually could have had him talking or saying or even you know sort of oh, I can't believe I'm in the you know anything just to take you on that story otherwise he just randomly walks up and just stares at things and then starts to melt, which I thought was a shame. Because actually, you're right, there is a nice character arc that could have been put in there. Would only have taken one or two lines of dialogue. No, which, you're right. Yeah, when, it, when you yeah. think of how long they spent randomly running around Amsterdam for the rest of the episode, it's not like they were short of runtime to put a few lines of dialogue in. No, and, and you're right. The Amsterdam thing, I think, didn't have as much of an impact as Paris did in um, uh, City of Death. And this is clearly what they were doing. It was just trying to recreate the feel... Uh, that worked so well. It's just that they happen to have a brilliant story uh, in City of Death as well as Paris. And I think you can say, you know, Amsterdam is not as picturesque or is not as immediately recognisable. Yes. Um, but uh, but they just come up with another reason, really, uh, to, to run around it. Um, and actually, if you look, they, when they run through some of the public thoroughfares, you can clearly see some of the public looking around, watching the cameras. And they're mm. smiling and they're looking at big because they clearly weren't able to control that in the way that they would today. Uh, but yeah, that's I think Amsterdam was okay. I thought it looked slightly different to uh, to other stories uh, within the Fifth Doctor era. But did it, it, as I said, it just didn't have the kind of city of death feel to it. No, not at all. And you know, okay, there's I mean, if you've been to Amsterdam, you recognize the canals and the bridges. But it's not exact. It's not iconic the way the Eiffel Tower no. is iconic. Um, Honestly, yeah, yeah you, you could have filmed that anywhere. Really. I mean, they spent a lot of time in a particular park, which is a real park that's in Amsterdam. But it's not like it's 
a famous I'd never heard of it until I saw it here so I think I, I don't think it it really it probably wasn't worth the production budgets take them there they probably could have gone to Birmingham and most of the audience wouldn't have been any other wiser. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd like if you'd try to persuade John Lathan Turner, oh, let's not go to Amsterdam, let's let's go to Birmingham instead. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether or not that would have um, that would have worked. I, I think it was more um, of a jolly for the production crew than it was an actual thing for the audience. <laughs> quite possibly, yeah. But, uh, but Ian, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed uh, filling in your fifth Doctor gap there and uh you you suggested that you haven't seen a time monster just off the top of your head which other stories have we got left to work our way through there's not many i I think i'm completely done with tom and peter onwards there might be i'm not sure about underworld and the sunmakers i might have missed one of those but i i'll have to uh, remind myself i think there's there's a couple of pertwees certainly time monster i think the peladon stories possibly Ooh, and when you right. you can do those with somebody else, <laughs> but yes, okay. And when you get back to, there's quite a few Hartnell stories. I haven't seen the Web Planet, and uh, a couple of uh, Troutons, I think, as well. So we've got a fair bit still to work with, but mostly from the early years. I, unfortunately, I think probably through you know selection for obvious reasons, they don't tend to be high flying fan favorite episodes for the fairly obvious reasons. You know, I've not been motivated to go and seek out the time monster for example because its reputation is not it's not the genesis of the daleks is it it it's not but uh, i i know i'll resist the temptation to get into a conversation about a time monster but it's it, it's not as terrible as people say it so. <laughs> great to talk to you about this particular story ian cheers bye-bye <laughs> Yeah, that's when I had a voice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not perfect all the time. Anyway, um, first, before we move on with anything else, happy birthday, uh, Ian, or I guess happy belated birthday uh, to you. And, um, you know, my birthday present to you is if you would like to discuss one of those uh, episodes you haven't seen, particularly The Web Planet, because I know no one else is willing to do that with you. I'm here to support you. Uh, you know what? Uh, we could just throw in the time monster as well. I'm, 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 I'm happy with either one of those. Um, We're trying to uh, attract listeners, Drew. We can't have a double header with a web planet. No, no, and... no, 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 no. I, I'm not willing to do both of them in one episode. I'm just saying, you know, um, there's there are many movies out there that um, are more enjoyable the more people you watch it with. I wouldn't recommend, say, um, you know, uh, an evening to, at home watching Web Planet by yourself, or at least discussing it by yourself. So it's always better, you know, over time and with friends. So uh, both of those, I'm I'm happy to jump in with. What are your thoughts on Arc of Infinity? Yeah, um, it's it's funny because I, I thought, oh, you know, I should rewatch Arc of Infinity, and I just couldn't be bothered to do so. Um, <laughs> that says it I all. haven't I haven't watched Arc of Infinity probably since 2013. Um, it's so it's been a decade for me, and um, I remember thinking it was fine. Uh, they talk about the Gallifrey continuity uh, in or they you talk about the Gallifrey continuity in there, and I, I remember thinking that's neat. You know, I, I do like a good callback. I think the thing that struck me most about Ark Infinity is um, oh, now the name escapes me. The monster that isn't Omega, the Ergon. 
the Ergon. And the Ergon was on my list of things to discuss with Ian. And, and we got so carried away, for some reason, it dropped off. So I'm really glad you mentioned it. But yes, um, I've seen some fantastic cosplay. And I'm assuming that's what you're thinking uh, next time you're at a convention. That I should dress as the Ergon. Well, here's the problem with dressing like the Ergon. Um, the Ergon is aesthetically the least Doctor Who creature that has ever appeared on Doctor Who because the Ergon looks like it came out of the Power Rangers. There is something so Japanese in its aesthetic that I just want it to do, like, I just want to, like, roundhouse kick it, you know, assuming that I was physically capable of doing that. You know what, like, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the Power Rangers or any of the that form of Ultraman or, um, you know, ninja robots fight kaiju sort of a sort of a, a, a media, but, like, it just, it doesn't look like a Doctor Who creature. There's something completely aesthetically different about it. I, I remember it being odd. Yeah. Even at the time um, when it was when it was broadcast, although I don't recall um, the story when it went out originally, but I, I do know that the Ergon has got some like mythical status uh, within uh, fandom, particularly fans of the Fifth Doctor era, along with, of course, I think it's the Garm from Oh Garm is from um, uh, Terminus, right? The giant it 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 looks a little so in the states we have something called Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, where a giant mechanical rat will bring you pizza. Um, and it, Garm has a real Scottish Terrier yeah. um, pizza pizza delivery rat feel to it. Who just um, moves at an incredibly arthritic pace. The, the, same, just, the same as the Ergon, really. That's a, that's a, that's a, there's yeah. a story waiting to be told, possibly Big Finish. Wait, so wait, Big Finish hasn't done an Ergon story yet? I find that Or a Garm story. <laughs> oh, but. Uh, Really? really, but they they have really? they have given voice to uh, to weeping angels. Although of course weeping angels do hijack other species' voice to communicate. Whereas I think the Garm and Ergon uh, trying to give them voice in an audio play would be challenging. And I think we're stretching as well. Um, so perhaps perhaps <laughs> we ought to move on to some other big finish that isn't as quite as innovative as a Garm Ergon story, but reintroduces River Song. Brent and Michelle, over to you. Big finish with Michelle and Brent from across the Atlantic Ocean. Michelle has a new friend and they're going to have a real good time. Reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chuff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. Welcome, dear listener, to another Big Finish review with the Doctor Who podcast. This time you have Brent. Hello. And Michelle, and we are going to be, again, going back in time just a little bit to 2015 when Big Finish first started releasing The Diary of River Song. Do you know who I am? I only know my instructions. What were they? To get you here, I think. I think it's a test. Who's testing me? I can't. I can't tell you that. Whoever set this test has unleashed a monster. They'd heard you're pretty good. <laughs> With monsters. So this is the first 
season, if you will, of River Song, the first series of four stories that were released with Alex Kingston reprising her role as River Song from the TV series. Mm-hmm. I had dipped back into this just recently and was reminded how much I enjoyed it and felt like I needed to inflict it on somebody else. <laughs> so uh, I, I recruited Brent to kind of give it a listen. And and why don't you give your first impressions? I, I heard a very brief first impression from you about the first three, and I was really tickled. Yeah, um, I'm glad you did uh, pick on me to uh, send this to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I never really got on board with any of the spinoffs in Big Finish because it's hard to keep up uh, with Doctor Who releases enough as it is. So... Uh, but I was really impressed with this whole box set and this first story, um, The Boundless Sea, that well, we're going to talk about all four, but even just the first story just grabbed my attention and kept me interested. And, and uh, the whole box set was like that. I was really impressed. Yeah, what I enjoyed is the text I got from Brent saying, hey, this is a lot better than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> so the the overall story arc in this is that there is a very rich group of elite people who have come together and decided that they need to kind of manipulate planets in the universe, that that what they enjoy doing is um, kind of dictating the evolution, at least culturally, that is occurring on planets. And of course, River Song gets all caught up in this. There are four stories, like we mentioned, and um, We're going to give you kind of uh, a brief look at some of them. We're not going to go into in-depth in all of them. You'll have to discover them for yourselves, listener. And we're going to feature uh, one or two that were our favorites. But but Brent, um, give a little background on on the first couple of stories in this. Like you said, that first one. Well, it's The Boundless Sea by Jenny T. Colgan. It's mostly an archaeological story, which fits in with River Song, and she's kind of done with the whole thing but then she finds out that there is uh uh this woman that was helping on an expedition named Daphne who wasn't even really part of the expedition they just sent her down in this hole because she was tiny and can get through there and she got entombed or you know she wasn't able to get out and so that sparks her and it's like okay I'm gonna come help and uh, you find out there's a uh, there's an entombed queen that's in there turning others into creatures like her. Yeah, it's kind of zombie mummies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have absolutely no time for zombie snakes. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it yeah it's it's a welcome return to River Song very much in her line of work with the focus on archaeology and going and. Helping out a woman. I think the time period is set before, I think, the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and that first story is really just sort of a setup to introduce a couple characters uh, and get River Song an invitation to the second story, mm-hmm. which is called... I Went to a Marvelous Party. <laughs> but actually, the story is called I Went to a Marvelous Party. <laughs> uh, no, but it's it's written by Justin Richards. And it's basically a never-ending party on a ship that is, again, pretty much a setup piece for the rest of the box set. And um, on both of these, we have a character we'll talk about called Bertie Potts that's in there. Um, I could never tell if this guy was good or bad for for a long time. All through this section of the ship, we've got suites controlling pre-contact planets across the whole galaxy. We're bolting more on every day. The party ship's modular design makes it perfect for expansion. 
work and play, all in one place. You're proud of this, aren't you? It's a complex skill, knowing when to nudge and how far. He's just sort of there and interfering a lot of the times. He's kind of annoying at, at times, too. and <laughs> um, Actually played by Alexander Vlahos, who is uh, actually becoming a good actor, a big actor right now. Uh, but on Big Finish, he did a lot of plays as uh, Dorian Gray. Yeah, he also did a pretty amazing version of Hamlet. For, That's for right. Finish, yeah, which I which I recommend. Yeah, no, he he is awesome. He's got such a wonderful voice, and you're right. This character uh, that, uh, other than River Song, is the one character that sort of spans the whole four stories. He's he he's not actually voiced in the third story, but um, he definitely ties things together, and it, it is beautifully played. He is sort of an enigma. You don't know whether to like him or hate him or what's going on, um, and we we discover. That about the same time that River Song does. So, <laughs> the second story is essentially a murder story. Um, right. Yeah, River Song finds herself at this extravagant party thrown by this uh, rich elite class and begins to uncover their uh, nefarious plotting and what they're doing, manipulating other planets. And uh, Early on, stumbles on a body, and it kind of becomes a whodunit from there. Uh, but with the, only the flair that um, that River Song can bring to it, uh, and indeed also um, that that uh, Justin Richards can bring to it, because he's the one that, that that wrote this script. Yeah, it had a bit of a Robots of Death vibe to it, to me, because there were robots in it, um, and there was death. And death. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely played. (laughs) There's one robot that talks back, but then you find out it's actually um, the murdered person's, uh, what was she, like a helper or servant or... Slave. Maybe. Um, Yeah, yeah. And she's wearing one of these suits to stay out of trouble. So it, it did give me that vibe, yeah. Yeah, and actually that whole thing about people being kidnapped by aliens and, and beamed up to a ship and uh, you kind of understand how that could happen yeah. from the from the plot on this right 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 <laughs> <laughs> all of which kind of leads into the, the third story which is called signs and written by James Goss uh, and this is the story that particularly I think captivated both Brent and I is that is that fair oh yeah yeah tell me a story. One with a beginning, a middle, and an end. In that order. Well, it doesn't have a happy ending. Oh. A true story, then. Yes. All right, then. The beginning. You meet a stranger. Tall, dark. Handsome, mysterious. Me to a team. <laughs> and it was love at first sight, because you have excellent taste. Oh, I do. <laughs> it's a story about River. It just opens up. It's almost like a totally new story. She's apparently dying, and you're like, what's going on? And she's being helped by a character called Mr. Song, who is supposed to be the doctor, Peter Capaldi's doctor, to be precise. No, I don't think so. Really? No, in fact, I, 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 I think he's supposed to be a doctor that she doesn't know, that she hasn't met. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In fact, there, there's a sequence in there where, where she's seeing all the all of the doctors in kind of a dream sequence, including this one. And she's like, I don't recognize you. So I, I think that the idea is that, is this a doctor she hasn't met? And if she hasn't met him, why not? And um, Okay. I, I, yeah. I get that. I, I The reason I said that is because around this time was when Capaldi was the doctor on television. And that would be the one fresh in everyone's mind. But... Not only that, but the guy that does the voice, uh, Samuel Sam West. Sam West, yeah. The way he taught his speech patterns, his intonations, everything was really sounded like Capaldi to me. And um, the way he acted and, and the, the way he talked really brought him to mind. So that's why I thought maybe it was supposed to be him. But Oh, that's interesting. And maybe some of that is intentional. But certainly we are supposed to be puzzled about this. Okay. Because yeah. he is definitely presenting as River's husband, the doctor. Um, and the brilliance of this story is that he is so believable as a doctor. The chemistry between him and River Song is delightful. One of yeah. my favorite things in this is the banter, which mm-hmm. is so much like the doctor mm. and River Song. Yeah. Planet Delva 98. Once home to two billion reasonably advanced souls. Now it's a Monday of a world. Poor Delva 98. Did you see the mist over the forests as we flew in? Yep. An empty planet where it's always raining. Not much to see. But there's something. You mean the ruins? Not them. Although, you know, love an old ruin. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Don't mention it. But we're not sure who this... Mr. Song is, why River is dying, which, by the way, adds a real pathos to this story mm-hmm. as she's confronting her, her mortality, um, all of which is embedded in the plot because together they are researching something called the spore ships. Um, the reason that uh, this rich elite has has convinced River Song to come to their party in the first place is to try and get her to help figure out what is going on with these spore ships, which are these um, doodlebug-like alien remote craft kind of things that are showing up, landing on, they're semi-organic, they land on planets, burst open, and destroy all life on the planet, basically resetting the, the evolutionary process on these planets. Um, and this, of course, is a horrific thing to begin with, but it's really annoying the rich elites because they're trying to manage these planets themselves and don't like these spore ships showing up and like totally ruining all their work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so River and her husband are searching out spore ships, trying to to solve this mystery of what's going on, what culture it was mm-hmm. that created these spore ships, how to stop them. Yeah, it's a great two-hander. It's just the two of them in this whole story. It um uh there's a lot of callbacks to the show. Like his his ship is called Sarah Jane. Uh he asks River if she wants to visit Florana. Um there are a lot of callbacks in here and so you really believe that it could be the doctor. Um but they do. They have so much great chemistry together that it, it's it's really nice to hear them as a team in this one. Um until we find out what's really going on at the end. Well we will say so so Brent and I are giving you 
you know, a special plug for, for Signs, the third story out of these four, which I suppose could be listened to independently if you didn't want to listen to all four yeah, stories that's in true, the yeah. set. I mean, it, it certainly does connect into the larger story arc, but but <laughs> if, if you're really pressed for time and only want to listen to one, listen to that one. However, I will also say that a close runner-up for me is the fourth story, which is called The Rulers of the Universe, which is what this elite group call themselves. Um, but the unique thing about this is that this time it really does feature one of the actual doctors that River remembers. Mm-hmm. But it's the eighth doctor who she's not supposed to meet. Shame on you, Bertie Potts, using this one. He is so young, so naive and idealistic. I didn't plan it. I thought one of the others would turn up. This doctor thought he could run from a war, but he didn't know. Tell me, how do I move his ultra ship back? It should be at those controls. Something's blocking the signal. Something big. Oh no. Tell him. Warn him. I would. But you know, you've read my diary. There are rules. Certain doctors I can't play with. And he's not supposed to know who she is. And and so it's a, it's a lot of, hey, I'm here to help you. I don't know who you are. Um, and she's, oh, I can't see him face to face and all of that sort of thing. And we find out about the sports ships. Bertie Potts is back. Everything ties up in this last story. Right. And so, you know, if you want to figure out how you can have a, a story with both River Song and the Eighth Doctor, listen to this because it is done brilliantly. And and listening to Paul McGann and Alex Kingston do their thing. Yeah. Um, it is also a delight. Unlike Alice, I don't sit in a pool of tears. Not when there are tombs to be uncovered, crimes to be solved, doctors to be rescued, and married. So in summary, yes, it is hard to keep up with all of the ranges that Big Finish continues to produce. And by the way, you know, I just went back and listened to the first Diary of River Song series, as I made you do, Brent. And I just looked it up. There are 10 series now. Wow. So if you want to feel like you are behind, uh, this this summer saw the release of series 10. Series 11 is scheduled for this coming year. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so yes, another another big finish series to be well behind on. But but this is a this is a kind of a little treat. This is a little treat out there. If you're looking for something to listen to, listeners, uh, we recommend certainly the first series, uh, and certainly especially the third and maybe the fourth stories in the series. Yeah, and and I know if if you're in this to also listen to previous doctors, at least the first five feature previous doctors in the River Song series. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Michelle and Brent. Yeah, no, uh, it's been a really long time since I listened to that first season. It's the only season of the River Song, and I'm, I got to say, I'm a little gobsmacked that it has say eleven, eleven seasons, ten, eleven seasons. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, but completely deserved. I I really liked and appreciated um, the. I feel like there are some issues with River Song's story and and how her life is just 
on the television show centered around the doctor. Um, so it's really exciting to have her have her own adventures and, and breathe life, further life, and expand that character's story. Mm. So I was really excited. Uh, I remember when that first came out. Oh, I think I listened to all of them in, in the in the first day. Uh, they, they, they're good as well. Uh, all, all four they're stories. They're really good, yeah. I, I've not listened to that particular set in a long time, but I do recall enjoying it very much, same as you, Drew. And, and listening to Michelle and Brent again there, um, I, I think they are going to be on my listening list uh, very, very soon. I haven't listened to all 11 series. I think series 11 has either just been released or it's about to be released. Mm. Uh, but I think I got as far as series five or series six. And, and just I got to the point where they'd stopped bothering to explain how River Song meets previous versions of the Doctor. Because, of course, in theory, she meets him <laughs> for the first time in Silence of the Library. Uh, and yet I think River Song has now featured alongside either every iteration of the Doctor or all but two or three. And uh, no explanation, really, of um, of, of how the Doctor forgets or doesn't recognise her uh, by the time he gets to the library. I don't care. Uh, it's 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 one of those things where when you introduce River Song, who, I mean, aside from the Doctor, probably is the most dynamic and interesting character because the very nature of who she is and, and what she represents is so interesting. Um, those are the things that I love about Doctor Who. It's It, it feels like your creativity knows no bounds and when you're playing with time travel and, and yada 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 um river song's great and um you know what's also great and one of the things that michelle and and brent didn't mention is the theme song Ooh, like yes. the opening theme song for river song is so good but uh, in particular i wanted to bring it up with you <laughs> because i cannot be the only person when they hear river song's theme song doesn't just go that's just an unused James Bond Absolutely. tune. Absolutely. And I'm right? certain. You, yeah, you feel the same way? so easily visualize the opening credit sequence to a James Bond film when I listen to the River Song theme and uh, Drew I don't know if you can see behind me but that's a live and let die poster <laughs> oh yeah I, uh, I, I, I've been admiring it it's like you know of course mentioning visuals on a, on an audio podcast medium is yes. uh, you know it doesn't always work <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen there's a there's a framed live and let die poster behind James's shoulder I, I, I have to admit James Bond is one of my other passions uh, I've got the original quad posters uh, of the spy who loved me Moonraker and Octopussy, all three of those in frames. They were sitting outside Leicester Square Odeon Cinema um, at the time of their premiere. I have absolutely no idea how much they're worth, but they're utterly priceless uh, to me. And yet, of course, um, whenever there's a link between Doctor Who and James Bond, that just kind of sets a special kind of gene that I possess tingling uh, in the back of my mind. And that theme tune does it every single time. And um, yeah, I, I I like the bonds, the, the the epic feel of these stories, and the theme tunes are amazing. 
I think we we in some ways do a disservice by comparison uh, comparing River Song to James Bond, but in other ways I think it's recognizing that there is an archetype that she plays in, and that is she is essentially an agent. She has a lot of amazing gadgets. Uh, she has the uh, tenacity uh, romantically uh, of a of an early James Bond character. Um, uh, so I, maybe it's more apt than I was originally willing to give credit for. I, just real quickly, I we both love this, mm. but I'm curious. You and I have never discussed this before. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Doctor Who intro music? <laughs> not like not like a Doctor's theme, but like you know the show starts, the credits roll. And it doesn't have to be the show. It could be, I don't know, Big Finish, could, including, because this is a Big Finish, of course. Um, I guess Big Finish in television is the only way we can, re- <laughs> the only two that we can pull from. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a favorite? Well, is this out of nowhere? Well, perhaps, perhaps both, actually. Um, and again, maybe this says more about me uh, than um, <laughs> anything else. But when I think of Doctor Who themes used on the television i instantly think of the ones that i dislike the most first and as i said that's probably more a comment about the way i look at things but i could not stand the stylophone in peter capaldi's um era used literally every single episode i had real problems with that and by Hmm. contrast i love the jodie whittaker music that comes in i mean i i heard someone very unfairly describe it as a dustbin lids version uh just people bashing dustbin <laughs> and i can't get that out of my head now that i've heard of it but it doesn't actually um impinge on my enjoyments of that so certainly from the tv show i would probably highlight that one got an affection for sylvester mccoy's theme as well um that's 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 really cool but big finish Loads of their ranges have got really good intro pieces. They've varied and rearranged the Doctor Who theme more times than I can remember. But the one that sticks in the mind, apart from the River Song series, is the Unit series, uh, the new series. And again, listeners, maybe if you listen carefully, you'll hear that in the background about now. Uh, but that one, for me, sounds very epic as well. And uh, it reminds me of a 1970s, 1980s ITV show, perhaps. Um, and again, maybe I'm not speaking to the right person, but uh, maybe that's the feel that um, they were going for there. my favorite intro music is also from big finish and it's it's not from it's a one-off it's not from any of their uh ranges but uh i'd say like five or six years back maybe even more than that gosh time time is tricky um they did an interview series um they did one with colin baker one with tom baker and the tom baker theme music intro music is this kind of jazzy piano piece that is so different and it stands out that when i once i listen to it it stays in my head like an earworm um for at least a week um and i haven't listened to it for a while but if you would be so kind as to insert it here
And now the audience also has it. Um, so I really like that one. Okay, well, I, I, I'm sure yeah. that was brilliant. That piece of music that you just heard. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, the, the joys of editing. Um, yeah, the River Songline, really good. Um, really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to their reviews. And uh, I don't know, maybe I could jump on there later and, and throw in my own opinion. Um, we'll see. But I mean, I feel like you know when you first proposed this, you're like, "Listen, there's not much to talk about. Uh, we're just gonna we're gonna talk about two things, and then we're gonna be done." Um, and we've probably gone on ten minutes longer than you were expecting. So it seems like a good time to uh, wind this down. We have expressed plenty of opinions, and if you would like to express opinions of your own, you we can read. We reached at feedback at the Doctor Who Podcast dot com. On Twitter, we are at the dr who podcast uh and you know what we should really uh, be pimping this as much as possible on facebook mm. uh ian has relaunched the the facebook discussion group and it's it's hopping i mean like we're getting some really good conversations now admittedly every time they post something i get really excited about saying something and then i go mm, i gotta think about what i want to say i want to make sure i'm representing myself and and the podcast well and then i never post so um one of the things that i'm going to do this weekend and, and i guess once you've listened to this i've probably hopefully will have already done it i'm gonna jump on there and, and throw in my own opinions on a couple of things uh recently uh one of the members have been posting graphs about the change in um, story popularity based off of polls um, for, I guess, the DWM, correct? And it's really fascinating to see when it started to first post the polls and how certain stories have grown in appreciation or dropped significantly. Uh, and it's a simple line graph. It's very easy to read, and it's really entertaining. And I think at the time of our recording, all seven of the Doctor's uh, stories have been Post. So the classic era, I think, is covered in these graphs. So um, it should be uh, a fun look through if, if, you, if that's something that appeals to you. And it does to me because as we rediscover stories uh, and find ep- missing episodes, like, you know, you, you just, just looking at Enemy of the World and how it goes from like, oh, we have one episode and no one really likes it. We just have the novelization to go off of uh, to what it's like once you get to see the whole thing in its entirety – you know, it's a very significant change for that story in particular. Um, it, it's one of those strange things, isn't it? That um, it, we're, we're Doctor Who fans tend to like stats, tend to like graphs, tend to like numbers. And uh, yeah, Paul Todd, uh, who's posted these on our, our group. Mm. Uh, initially, I looked at it and just thought, oh, I, I deal with enough charts at work. Uh, but I started reading this thinking, oh, actually, do you know what? Revelation of the Daleks has consistently been the most popular Sixth Doctor story from 1988 all the way to 2023. And uh, Vengeance and Varus and the Two Doctors also maintains that kind of consistency, switching only once in 2003. You see, this is absolute gold dust. Uh, you know, maybe you could commentate, uh, Drew, on some of these um, some of these polls. Oh yeah, you can absolutely <laughs> use these charts to kill Cyberpunk. Uh, yeah, you hundred uh, percent, and probably our <laughs> listenership as well. But if you're one of those listeners who do like uh, looking at these kind of numbers, then do search us up on Facebook. Look for the Doctor Who podcast Facebook group, uh, and you're very welcome to get stuck in and post graphs of your very own. Uh, that seems to be all for now. Uh, James, thanks for inviting me back into the camper van. It's been a while. You, you seem to 
constantly take or assume this guy is, as a guest. You say, thank you for inviting me. You've earned that seat now, Drew. You've been here for about four or five years. You ain't going anywhere. Uh, so. That's true. <laughs> I'm like that possum that lives underneath the camper van. It's just going to come in on occasion. It's going to eat some food. It's going to do its business, and it's going to leave, and it's just going to you know, stay underneath. Wonderful. Do you have possums over there? Uh, no, but I know exactly what you mean. And uh, thank you for that very, very visual image um, <laughs> for us to end on. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't respond. I'm playing dead. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Join us again for episode 357 and also our next episode of the Once and Future Review, which, Drew, I suspect you will be on. We shall catch up with you very, very soon. Bye for now, everyone. I'm not going to respond. I'm, I'm, I'm a possum. A dead possum. That was the Doctor Who Podcast with your hosts, James, Drew, Michelle, Ian, and Brent. You can find us at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening and take care. <laughs>